Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today we are doing a podcast on EHCPs. This is all your kind of frequently asked questions, your FAQs, all the kind of deep dive things into EHCPs. Let's really try to get some sense of how you home educate when you have an EHCP, how you go about getting an EHCP, if you home educate, how you deregister from school if you have an EHCP, all those questions that gets asked. I would really like to see if we can get some clarity on this because it is a it's a it's a meaty subject and it's quite a tricky one and people worry about that this and understandably so. So today I am really pleased to be joined by Anne Druitt from Green Shoots Education Support and she is going to be guiding us through EHCPs and I am happy to put my hand up and say I really don't know very much about EHCPs. So the questions that I ask are probably going to be the same kind of questions that you're all asking as well. So first of all, Anne, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And do tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. It's it's lovely to be here. So I'm primarily a mum. I have two amazing children, um, both of whom are educated at home at the moment. Uh, But I'm also a teacher and I have taught in schools for over 20 years And for the last 17 of those years, I've been working as a SENCO, which is a special educational needs coordinator. And my passion has always been about helping children and families who are finding things difficult, who are struggling in some way and working with the children themselves, but also helping parents to make sure they are getting the right support for their child. Um, So I left the classroom in July of this year and started up my business and I now work independently with families and with children guiding them through anything to do with special educational needs um, both in my local area but also I've discovered that with the joy of technology I've been working with people all around the country as well. The delights of Zoom. Yes. (laughs) So before we talk about EHCPs, could you tell us a little bit about how you see special educational needs and the home education community, how they intersect together? Well, I think that what I've seen while I'm home educating my own children is that more and more now, families are feeling that they're in a position where school is just not working for their children. And often that is because the children have additional needs of some sort. And so more and more families are um, deregistering their children, withdrawing their children from school or deciding not to send their children to school um, because of special educational needs. And therefore, there are a lot of parents out there and families out there that are a little bit lost. Because when you're in a school setting, you have your SENCO, your special needs coordinator, who is there to be your point of contact to help you and guide you through these processes. Um, And they will help to get support in place. Um, And once you've deregistered and you're home educating, you're kind of on your own. And you've got to then find that information yourself. You've got to then go in search of that information. Um, and that's one of the things that 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 I'm um, enjoying doing is being there as that independent Senko, as that independent person who can help those families who are perhaps home educating because their child was struggling in school. Um, but 
a, there, there is a huge overlap between people who are home educating and more and more now so because schools are, are failing the children and parents are realizing that and they're realizing that um that they need to act to support their children in a different way yeah and i think that when you home educate your child it is a it is an inherently quite lonely experience because you are the single point of contact for their educate their educational journey whether they are facilitating it themselves or whether you are helping them with it, it it's still through you ch channeled through you and I would think that that is just exacerbated when also the special educational needs or any special needs then are also all channeled through you so let's start with our first question then which is what actually is an EHCP and is it something that is actually relevant to home educated families I mean do they even need to get one so what is it and do we need to be pursuing them so um an EHCP, it stands for an Education, Health and Care Plan. And it's a legal, legally binding document that's written by the local authority and it describes a child's special educational needs. It outlines the special educational provision that the child needs and it lists the outcomes that they would like to achieve or that the people around them would like them to achieve. So its focus is really on making sure that they can access education, training, health and social care services so that they can reach their potential and, I guess, fully prepare for adult life. So it's primarily concerned with a child's educational needs. And so people think, well, that then relates to them accessing school. And the majority of the time it does. But there are times when an EHCP can be relevant for a home educating family. What some home educating families think is, oh, I want to home educate my child, but it's quite expensive, isn't it? I'd really like someone to pay for it. <laughs> you know, I'll get an EHCP and then the local authority can pay for me to home educate my child. Um, and that's when it becomes complicated because that's not the basis of an EHCP and that's not what it's there for but there are times when um it is relevant because if your child has special educational needs um then you may find that the hcp is an important way to make sure those needs are met okay um, so, so it's not just a labeling exercise no no it's not and it's important to remember that an ehcp is about um the child's needs it's not based on their diagnosis. It's not based on um, the labels they have. It's about the child's needs. And when you're applying for an EHCP, what you need to remember is that you're applying for an assessment. You're not applying for, for a plan. You're asking the local authority um, for an assessment, for an EHC needs assessment. And there are two things that you need to, to sort of meet two legal um, thresholds that you need to meet. The first is that your child may have special educational needs, also has special education needs or may have special educational needs. And that's going to be true for lots and lots of families who are home educating. Um, they would have evidence either from a diagnosis or from a professional report or from evidence from a school, if they've been in school and left school, that their child has special educational needs. 
But the other test that the local authority needs to, to put in place is that they may need special educational provision to be provided through an EHCP plan. So that's the bigger hurdle to overcome. And that's the trickier one from a home education point of view. So the first bit is saying this child has these needs. The second bit is saying we need to provide for these needs. Yeah. So if we if we go backwards a little bit and think about what are special educational needs, the legal definition of, of special educational needs is that a child or young person has special educational needs if they have a learning difficulty or a disability which calls for special educational provision to be made. So if we unpick that a bit further, a learning difficulty is means that they have significantly greater difficulty in learning than the majority of their peers. And a disability means it's difficult for them to access the facilities that are normally provided for others of the same age in a mainstream school. Mm -hmm. So if a child will have special educational needs, if they have significantly greater difficulty learning or they have difficulty accessing the provision, uh, accessing the facilities within a which are normally provided. And they need special educational provision and special educational provision is anything that's additional to or different from what is normally provided. So rather than saying, does my child have special educational needs, if we sort of break that right down, what we're saying is special educational needs is either a significantly greater difficulty learning or difficulty accessing the environment and the facilities. And those difficulties require something additional to or different from what is normally provided. And in order to meet those special educational needs, schools, mainstream schools are given um, a budget by the local authority to put support in place. So when we get to the level when we're saying, does the child have special educational needs? So they've got the learning difficulty or disability that requires something additional to or different from. Do they then need provision to be placed, put in place through an EHCP? So the provision that could normally be put in place through the school and including the extra money that the school gets for them isn't enough they're going to need even more so in terms of home educating we can show that the child has got special educational needs but we've then got to think do they require provision to be made for them through an ehcp plan and that's where we'd have to think what the purpose of the plan would be yeah, because what's interesting is that what you've been saying is that in a school, it's very much about comparing to the majority of, of how other children access education, how other children access the facilities. Now, at home, you don't have that comparison. So that must be really quite difficult to sort of show, well, look, we need intervention because home education in itself is the intervention, right? Exactly. Yes. And that's why sort of this this um, definition of special educational needs is quite broad, but it also is sort of dynamic. It changes because when you get to that point of 
they need something that's additional to or different from what's provided for everyone else, that's going to depend on what is provided for everyone else. So in one school, you might have um, the school naturally has quite small class sizes. Um, they might naturally be doing various things for all of their children. They might have some sort of speech and language program that they're using for all the children. And therefore, this child doesn't need anything extra to that. So they don't really meet the criteria for spe having special needs. Yet you then move them to another school where there are huge class sizes and there isn't any support being put in place for speech and language because it's not generally needed for the others. So this child needs something extra and okay, now they have special educational needs. So it, it does change. And you're quite right. When you take your child out of school or if your child's never been into school, there will be aspects of their needs that aren't relevant because they're not needing support for those because they're not in a school environment. So, and that I suppose is one of the reasons why lots of people are taking their children out of school to educate them at home because then a lot of those difficulties that they're having disappear and, and are not relevant. So that's certainly one thing to think about um, when deciding whether an EHCP is, is relevant is what are the child's actual barriers in the environment they're in. So I'm guessing that in a school, for example, it might be in the EHCP that they have one-to-one -one support, but obviously in the home education setting, they're going to have that one-to-one -one support. So, so when when a child has an EHCP and they're in school, that EHCP will be very much responsive and reactive to the school that they're in. Is there a route then whereby you have an EHCP and you're in you're in the school? And they actually say, okay, your best thing is to go to another school, for example. Does that happen? It it can do, yes. So um, if you're in a school and you've got your EHCP, the EHCP is primarily written based on what are the child's needs. So section B of the EHCP lists the child's needs. And then what provision do they need to meet those needs? And that would be in section F. It is possible that once you've had that written, it will then be sent to schools. It might be you're already in a school and it will be sent to that school. And the school can then say whether or not they can meet that child's needs. Can they deliver what is in Section F? Can they put in place the provision that they've that is, is legally binding in this EHCP? And um, so a school could say that actually... No, it's saying in the EHCP that this child needs to be in a small school with small class sizes, a very low arousal, quiet environment. And we are a mainstream secondary school with 1800 children, classes of 30 and noisy corridors. We cannot meet this child's needs. And then the local authority would need to consult with other schools to find a school that could meet that. Um, the child might already be in a school and that school might say, you know, actually, we cannot deliver what's in this EHCP um, because of the way we're set up. They, you know, it, they've got to have reason, you know, pretty strong reasons for saying that. And they've also hopefully got to work alongside the parents because the parents, one of the things about the EHCPs when they were brought in, 
in 2014 to replace the statements was the emphasis on the involvement of the parents and the families and the child themselves in their preferences being made. So the parent has the right to state what their preference is in terms of the child's schooling um, and the setting that the child goes to. And then the local authority can then insist that the the school do take the child with the EHCP and insist that the provision is put in place. But the local authority then needs to work with the school to make sure the school has the resources and the provision that, that they can deliver. So we quite often have parents who come in the home education Facebook groups and they say that they're pulling their child out of school because the school is not supporting their child and their child has an EHCP. So at that point, I mean, whilst I, as far as I'm concerned, everyone should just home educate, right? However, a lot of parents don't want to, and they feel that they've kind of almost been forced into it from a lack of school support. So are you saying that actually that parent could go back to the local authority and say, do you know what? The school is meant to be providing this support that's legally binding and they're not. So you need to either make them provide the support or find me another setting whereby my child can get that support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you need to be ever so careful when you are pulling a child out of school um, with an EHCP um, because this is where you get into this this area of electively home educating. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So if you decide that you are going to choose to home educate your children, then you are saying to the local authority that you are taking full responsibility for providing the education of your child and that's full financial responsibility and full responsibility for meeting their special educational needs um so if you say to a school whether you've got a, a, an ehcp or not i am deregistering i'm going to home educate the local authority can turn around and say you've chosen to home educate you're electively home educating we are now no longer responsible for providing anything to your child because you then, in effect, become the school that is responsible for providing the support that is in Section F or whatever. Sort of, yes. You are then responsible for meeting your child's needs, which is what's outlined in Section B. Mm -hmm. You don't have to provide the provision that's outlined in Section F in order to meet B, because okay. actually, but but you do have to show that you're meeting. Um, your child's needs, as we all do, whether our child has special educational needs or not, or whether we have an EHCP. As home educators, we need to be showing that we are providing an education that's suitable for the, the needs of our child. So, so, for example, sorry to interrupt, for example, if in the EHCP it says something like the child needs speech and language therapy, for example, if you then pull your child out of school and home educate them, surely that that quite specific provision would carry on or are you then also sort of with the local authority also then say well sorry buddy you're on your own you've got to be really careful because a local authority could say sorry you're on your own um because you have chosen to home educate your child you have chosen to take on the responsibility for for all of that education um so what you my advice would be if your child has got a, an, an EHCP and is in a school and the school is not meeting the child's needs, that you don't deregister. You don't say to the local authority, I'm going to home educate this child. You say to them, this school are not meeting needs 
and this is why and you you contact your caseworker at your local authority and you you tell them that you might say to them i'm not sending my child into school because their needs are not being met but that's different from saying i'm electively home educating them from now on would uh, that count as a child missing education it depends on who knows so if you just took your child out of school and said i'm well, i'm not going to send them in anymore then um then you you might be going down those roads but if you're in communication with your caseworker and you're in communication with your school and you're making it very clear to the local authority that the provision in section f says this this and this this isn't happening and the impact on my child and their mental health or the impact on my child and their safety is this then you're dealing with the local authority and if the other part of the local authority that deals with the sort of um, attendance inclusion that sort of thing were to say well hang on a minute this child isn't attending school then you could signpost them to the EHCP department and say well actually we're working with them it is very complicated it is very muddy and I'm I'm afraid there are lots and lots of stories that I see in Facebook groups where schools are um you know going down an attendance route and and or they're saying well we need evidence from the doctor to sign your child off and and all of this sort of thing but i would say that would be the pref the better route to go down if you can would be to to keep your child on roll at the school because then the local authority remain responsible um the local authority have a duty to provide um edu full-time education to any pupils who don't attend school for 15 days or more for a variety of reasons either they've been excluded or they're um unwell and aren't able to attend they they are still responsible for putting in some sort of support if you take your child out and deregister them and and you may have a, a helpful local authority who say oh yes we can see the situation you know we'll help you in this way but you might also have a local authority that says you know no you've you're now edu home educating you're off our off our remit they still have to keep the ehcp open it um, the ehcp still exists they still have to review it annually um and some local authorities are, i've read about um which you know must have a bit more money up their sleeve than others will put in place um a budget or some of the support in section f but i wouldn't presume that would happen and i would be very careful about um making it clear to the local authority where you stand and what your outcomes are you know what your ideal is in terms of are you taking your child out of out of school because you've decided you want to home educate them or are you taking them out of school out of school because school obviously isn't working but ideally your preference would be for the EHCP to be put in place at a school setting. Okay, so I get the I get the impression that there's an end goal that is worth the hassle of not deregistering because I can think of a number of issues with not deregistering your child. One is that if you keep the if you keep them on in the school and then you kind of pull them out and you say, well, I'm not putting them in just because the needs aren't being met, but they're still on the school role. I can I feel like that could be a long process and quite a quite a stressful process and the other thing i'm wondering is 
is there not a concern that they could just turn around two weeks, two months, whatever, and say, well, we have a school that might suit your child better. And so you, you need to now put her into that one, for example. Yes. Yeah, so if you um, if you are um, saying to the local authority, we're, we're not deregistering, we, you know, we're not choosing to home educate. Um, our preference would be for our child to be in a school setting with a fully functioning EHTP that's meeting their needs. Um, then, yes, the local authority would want to provide that for you. And because their ideal is that everyone's in school, that's their bottom line. They want every child in school. So they may well consult with some other schools or some alternative provisions or, or and, and then name something and say, yes, you know, you, you need to send your child there. So I think if you are think if that's your goal as well, that you it's want your better school to be provision, school, yeah, better yeah. school provision, mm. then working with the local authority to try and um, reach that and um, um, reach an agreement, get the EHCP to better reflect your child's needs and to better um, outline the provision they need and get them into a better school setting, then you can work with the local authority to do that. If your end goal is that actually you want to have your children at home and you want to home educate them. But you want support from the local authority in doing so. Mm. Yeah. So there are the, the main route to doing that would be EOTAS. Mm -hmm. So that's education other than at school. And it can also be called in different local authorities EOTIS, which is education other than in school. And then there's another one where it's education other than at school or college. So they, you know, it, there's a few different um, acronyms for, for it. But that is very different from home education with, with a budget. Because EOTAS is when it is it is deemed by professionals that a school environment is not appropriate for the child. So that's not the parent's decision? No. Um, the parents could make that decision, but they would then need to have backup from professionals who have seen their child who agree that a school setting is not appropriate for the child. Um occasionally it can be seen as sort of short term that at this moment in time a school setting isn't appropriate for this child but that once they received the therapy they need for their mental health difficulties or whatever that in the future a school provision might be suitable or a school setting at this time isn't appropriate but maybe when they get to college level a college environment might be appropriate um so it can be a, a short term so it's kind of like an region. interim thing but an ongoing interim thing yeah local authorities are very reluctant to um to, to give eotas they must want, cost them a fortune right it yes and also they they want children in school because they are then handing over the the majority of the day-to-day -day running of that child's provision to a school setting. Um, EOTAS can be very expensive. It can be complicated to monitor from a safeguarding point of view because you've got different people delivering different provision to this child. The child's perhaps mainly in the home setting, although they may be accessing 
um, provisions outside of the home. But ideally, they want children in school. So they will often very reluctantly agree to EOTAS for a short period of time because they hope that then they will be able to say, oh, well, now the child needs to go into school. But for some children, the school environment is never going to be appropriate. And so in some cases, evidence shows that and the EOTAS might be given for a longer period of time. Um, or for other children, each time it's reviewed, there is still evidence that it that it isn't appropriate. EOTAS is when you are at home, your child is at home, but you are not responsible for their education. The local authority is still responsible. So they provide tutors, budgets, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And you, you as a parent can't be expected to deliver in it. And this is, you know, it, um, theoretically, you as a parent can't be expected to deliver any of the EOTAS package. In reality, lots of parents whose children have EOTAS are transporting their children from this to that or they're sitting with their children while the child accesses something online you know they are heavily involved um but for others the child might be attending a farm setting for a couple of days a week and they might have a personal assistant who takes them out for a day a week to access other things it, it depends how it's set up and how um rigorous the parents been and the professionals have been in terms of getting the package sorted um but it's very much um it's not a just a choice that the parent makes you know well I, you know i think they'd be better off in home education um so i think eotas would be right for us um though there's going to have to be evidence there that it wouldn't be appropriate for the child to be in any school setting and section i of the hcp which is where the school is named is left blank um, and then the provision is is put in section F. Um, and it can either be funded directly from the local authority, so they pay for the provisions, or some parents have a direct payment, so they receive the funding, and then they pay for for the for the different provisions. And I think it's the it's the one thing that that looks most similar to home education. And I know that when I take my children out to activities, um, in the local community as part of their home education, some of the children will be attending the same activities as my children, but it will be part of their EOTAS package rather than a parent choosing that as part of what they want to deliver um, in home education. Now, I've been in home education a long time, and um, and I would say that slightly wearily, and I'm, I must try to like up my tone when I say that. I've been in home education a long time, and, and I can safely say that there will be people listening to this who are like, yes, that's my route. I'm an EOTAS girl. And I, I would like to say to those people that it is not easy to get EOTAS, is it? I yeah. mean, I, I, I want to say that it's the extreme, it's the extremes that get the OTAS, but that makes me feel uncomfortable because it's as if we're on a spectrum of normality that I don't think exists anyway. But it is, it is. You are talking about uh, unusual circumstances, aren't you, to get EOTAS? Yeah, yeah. It's a very specific legal mechanism um, where the LA are providing the special educational provision for a child who is unable to access an educational setting. And of course, when you've when you think about you've got mainstream schools, 
you've then got specialist schools, you've got independent specialist schools, you've got a lot of schools settings that you need to prove none of those would be appropriate for your child. Um, and usually you would be looking at going to tribunal to get EOTAS agreed because the local authority will will want to to neighbour school. Um, and so the majority of families who who end up with an EOTAS package, not all, but the majority of families um, will have had to have appealed the EHCP, which will have named a school. They will have to have provided um, additional evidence that shows that a school setting is just not appropriate um, for their child. Um, and that will usually involve um, getting going to tribunal and the judge ordering um, an EOTAS package. So it's certainly not um, an easy route to go down. One of the things that I, I do see sometimes um, is that local parents will post on a, on a group and they'll say that the local authority um, are offering home education with a personal budget or EHE with a personal budget. And um, that's an interesting one because I think that will depend very much on the local authority. And I would be quite cautious about accepting that. If you if you feel that EOTAS is right for your child, that you don't feel that a school setting is, is, is appropriate and you have evidence to back that up, I would be very mindful of local authorities who say, oh, well, we'll put EHE in section I, we'll put that you're home educating in section I and provide a personal budget um, because they could quite easily turn around or have a change of management or a change of caseworker and say, actually, we're not doing that anymore. We, you know, you, you're home educating. It says here in your EHCP that you're home educating. Therefore, we're not going to provide anything. So it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, a dodgy one, really. Um, okay. So, but it depends so a little bit on local authorities. So the, the impression I'm getting is that if your child has an EHCP and they're in a school or or in actual fact not in a school you have the choice that the the local authority will give you an option of lots of other schools that might work better or they will make your current school put in the provision it needs so that's the first option keeping them in the school setting the second op second option is an eotas route which is difficult to achieve and might require a tribunal but would get you pretty much everything that you would want one assumes the third route is home ed with a budget. And then the fourth route is home edding with an EHCP in place. So let's look at, we've looked at the first and the second. Let's look at the third one then, which is home ed with a budget. How common is that? Um, I don't, I don't actually know. I don't think it can be very common. And I think if it has been, the, um, the number of children who are now needing EHCPs or the number of families who are requesting EHCPs, the number of local authorities who are on the verge of bankruptcy, as it were, in terms of the amount of funding they've got, they are going to be doing what they can to save money. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think um, home educating with a budget is going to become less common, if anything, because they're going to want to use any means that they can to say, 
actually, we don't need to pay that family. We don't need to offer any money. If you're in a school setting and you have an EHCP, then the majority of the support that's listed in Section F will be provided within the school. The money will be, the funding will be sent to the school and whatever's in Section F will be provided by the school. A personal budget is used for things that are in Section F that can't be provided by the school. So, for example, if um, in Section F it said your child needed to have specialist dyslexia tuition and that wasn't something that the school you were at provided and you already had a specialist dyslexia tutor that was working with your child had a relationship with them you could potentially request that section of the the budget to be provided prayed to you as a personal budget so you could continue with that or if it said that your child needed weekly hydrotherapy at a hydrotherapy pool and your school didn't have that um, then they might they might give the money to the school and ask the school to pay the hydrotherapy pool, or you could request a personal budget and they might give you the money to pay for your hydrotherapy. So it, the personal budget is for things in Section F that aren't delivered through the school. If you have an EHCP and you're home educating with a personal budget, does that mean that the local authority has more rights to kind of interfere, if you like? I think that that was one of the things I was going to mention with regard to EOTAS that um, that's worth considering. If you are sort of a home educator by heart, you, you want that for your child, but you're thinking, actually, I think an EOTAS package would be suitable or home educating with a budget. Then you are, particularly with EOTAS, you are reliant on the EHCP name, stating all the needs of the child and the local authority agreeing to provide those things. And the local authority will want um, to see that those needs are relevant year after year and that provision is relevant and that it's needed. So you are going to have somebody still making decisions for you and with you um, about what is best for your child. And I think one of the beauties of home education is being able to have autonomy over what you feel is best for your child and being able to change that or adapt that or follow their lead or, or whatever you want. And I think that's restricted, that will be restricted more if you have a budget or if you have EOTAS, um, because the local authority will still have um, their hand in what is being provided and what is being delivered. And from an expense point of view, you may not be providing the um, daily or weekly input that your child's receiving. But if on a yearly basis, you've got to prove that your child still requires that, you may be then spending money on professional reports to get the evidence to show that your child still requires that. So it's not a, an easy um, a process in terms of having reports updated, um, which might involve um, independent educational psychologist reports. It might involve independent speech and language reports. If you are going to tribunal to argue for EOTAS, then you may be looking at um, medical legal reports and um, 
which additional costs, more expensive to get all this evidence. You may find that you've spent more getting the evidence together to get to tribunal to put forward your case for for EOTAS than you would have spent on your child's provision. Um, So I think it's, it's worth really looking into what the outcomes are that you want and what the benefits would be for you and your child. And that, again, will depend a little bit on where they are in their school career. You know, if they're six, then you're thinking of a lot of years ahead of you. If they're already in year 10 or 11, then you might want to think about, you know, what you would get out of it um, for those few few years left of education. And I think you're right that a lot of it depends on your personal approach to home education and what you're wanting to get from it because there will be people listening that that think well you know what I, I didn't even want to do it and the more people involved the better as far as I'm concerned you know if, if I've got loads of LA in intervention okay bring it on you know like let's let's have a whole tribe raising my child but there'll be others who say well look you know the whole point of home education for me was I do it my own way that I have autonomy that we have freedom and flexibility and so a lot of that I guess will will color the decision that you make whether you go with different school provision EOTAS or home ed with a budget so if we assume then that the fourth option open to you you've got changing your school provision or ensuring that the school provides what is actually in the EHCP, option number one. You've got EOTAS, option number two. You've got home ed with a budget, a budget which is option number three. And, and is an option that may or may not really exist and may or may not be given. Yeah, yeah. and may be taken away as well <laughs> from the sound of it. And then the fourth option is home ed, just home educating and your child has the EHCP. So talk to me about the benefits of that approach and what are the benefits of having an EHCP if you're just just going to be home educating, no budget, no nothing? So if your child has an EHCP already, they're in a school setting, they have an EHCP and you decide I'm going to home educate them now for whatever reason, you've decided that actually you know, even with support in school, your preference, you've learned about home education, perhaps didn't know it was an option, or perhaps you weren't in a financial position, or you weren't in a position with your family circumstances to do it, but you've made the decision, actually, you want to home educate. The EHCP will remain um, in place. If your child is in a mainstream school, then you just deregister as you would for any child without an EHCP, you don't need permission. You just tell the local author- tell the school that you're deregistering, tell the local authority that you're deregistering, um, and ask them to change section I, which which names the setting. Um, you actually you don't have to tell the local authority, do you, that you're deregistering, even if you have an EHCP. If you have an EHCP, then then I believe you would have to tell a local authority that that you're deregistering because they would be sending funding to a school for your child to be there, and your child is no longer there so i, I, thought I believe the onus was on the school to tell the local uh, authority I, I think it might be yes i see what you mean yes the local authority would need to know yes mm, so via so the school yeah yes yeah. so you would you would need to tell um the school that you're deregistering um the local authority would need to know you're deregistering so that they change the the um the section i of the ehcp and um the ehcp would then remain in place Slightly different if your child is in a specialist school, because then you would need to get permission from the local authority to to remove them from that school, because you'd need to be you probably need to be able to show that you could meet the needs that are outlined in section section B. But 
whichever way you've decided you're going to home educate your child, the EHCP would, would remain in place. It would be reviewed annually. The benefits of keeping it and having it reviewed annually is that if you changed your mind and later on your child did want to access education, maybe at college level or above, then that EHCP would then you would say to the local authority, now I want to name such and such a place and the EHCP would be updated in that way. So it'd be worth having it in place ready for a later date. If your child hasn't got an EHCP and you are home educating, the benefit of, you'd have to think carefully about what the benefit would be of requesting an EHCP. Because as I said earlier, you've got that first legal test, have they got special educational needs? But then you've got that second legal test. They need educational provision provided through an EHCP. And you would need to ask yourself and the local authority would be asking why. Why do they need educational provision to be provided through an EHCP if they are being home educated? And it may be that you want to have it in place because you think in the future your child might want to go back to school, that actually you, you can, you know, there's, you've got a school um, in mind for for another stage of your child's education that you want. Um, it might be that you think EOTAS is going to be appropriate at, at some point. But I think if you have chosen you want to home educate, you want to be very much responsible for your child's education. You don't want people involved with helping you make decisions about that. You You just want to be able to do what your child needs. Then you'd have to th- have a think about what would that purpose of that EHCP and what would the purpose of going through that that process be for you and your family and what would you get out of it at the end because you don't want a place in a school you you don't want a EOTAS or, or you know that that wouldn't be appropriate because actually you know that they probably could manage in a school if you know if there was one um you know that it's likely the local authority will say, well, you've chosen to home educate, therefore you're responsible for your child's education. You'd have to think, you know, what would the purpose of this EHCP be? Because you're likely to have to persuade the local authority what the purpose is going to be. What about things like access arrangements and that kind of thing for exams? Would it just be, it sounds like it might actually just be simpler to get a diagnosis of I don't know, uh, dyslexia or, or autism or whatever, than actually to go through the EHCP pro- process? Or or would you say that actually when it comes to exams, it's actually useful to have the EHCP in place? Uh, the EHCP isn't necessary um, in order to get access arrangements. So access arrangements, again, are assessed for and measured based on a child's need. Um, so most exam centres, if you're home educating and you want your child to sit exams, perhaps at GCSE level, then the exam centre would be able to advise you on what evidence would be needed for access arrangements. And usually, again, that would be um, separate from a diagnosis. So you wouldn't need a diagnosis of dyslexia, for example. You would simply need proof that your child's um, processing speed is below a certain level or that their reading speed is below a certain level in order to get access arrangements. And that that is done very much separately from, from an EHCP. For children who are of that sort of age, 
coming up into sort of year nine, the EHCP, if they had one, might outline access arrangements, um, but it's not necessary to have it written in the EHCP in order to get access arrangements. Access arrangements are assessed for if your child's in school, then the school would carry out assessments or you can find a specialist assessor who would be able to um, provide evidence that your child needs access arrangements. Sometimes that would come through a medical report that a um, if your child had a diagnosis of ADHD, for example, they may have a medical report that states that they would need um, rest breaks or a prompt um, or movement breaks or something during exams. Um, and that could come through from a medical professional. So an EHCP um, for access arrangements alone, it it wouldn't be needed or or appropriate. There's other more effective routes of getting access arrangements. Absolutely, and and quicker and and more um, effective ways of having access arrangements in place without the need for an EHCP. Okay, so just a couple of questions that that kind of spring to mind. The first one is. If you want your child to, if you want to apply for an EHCP and your child is home educated, do you have to pay for the uh, assessments and things like that? Or does the local, or can you just say to, is it like a GP where you go to the GP and you say, do you know what? I think I, you know, I don't know. You, I, I think I've got a polyp in my nose and they're like, okay, I'm going to send you to a specialist and they'll check if you have or not. And they pay for that. So would it be that you could go to your local authority and say, I think my child is autistic and they'll be like, okay, we paid for the assessment to see, or do you have to fund all those things if you're home educating? So um, there's, there's two little bits in there because you mentioned sort of, I think my child might be autistic and you mentioned EHCP. So um, the, the short answer is no. Thinking about EHCPs, you write to the local authority and you say, I'd like my child to have an assessment and EHC needs assessment um, because I believe that they should have an EHCP. Um, and you would say, I know that you need to tell whether they have special educational needs, this is my evidence. And it may be that you've gathered that evidence without the need for paying for anything because you may have um, been at school and perhaps the school did some assessments or you've done, you've got a, a tutor that your child's working with who's done some, some who's got some evidence. So that might not involve any, any additional cost. You've then got to say, and I believe my child needs educational provision through an EHDP. I would say it's unlikely that um, if you've only ever home educated, so you haven't got any evidence from a school setting and you haven't got any medical reports through a diagnosis, you haven't got any educational reports, I think it would be unlikely you'd be able to prove that an EHCP might be necessary. It might so they it, wouldn't even do the assessments. It, yeah, it, it, de it depends. That's That tends to be... The, the first hurdle that local authorities will very quickly say, yes, we can see your child has special educational needs, but we don't believe that they need an EHC provision provided through an EHCP. So we're not going to assess. Mm -hmm. And parents will often then say, well, you know, obviously they do. So I'm going to go to mediation. I'm going to appeal and it, the decision will be overturned. But you'll need to have some sort of evidence there to display to the local authority that they may need an EHCP. Um, part of the assessment is an educational psychologist assessment that the local authority will pay for, whether you're home educated or whether you're in school, 
the process of the educational healthcare assessment is funded by the local authority and that will include an educational psychologist assessment so a lot of people will have got an educational psychologist assessment already either through the school or they're paid privately because it is that that gives the evidence that they need the assessment but as part of the assessment um you you will get an educational psychologist assessment um so it very much depends on the needs of the child um it may be that uh, i worked with a child a few years ago who had some medical needs um that also included learning needs and there was lots of evidence they'd had lots of input from uh, medical professionals very right from their birth all the way up to five or six when we were making the HCP application and there was plenty of evidence with all in all of those medical notes that an EHC was going to be needed so nothing else was um, provided in advance um, and as part of the EHCP assessment the local authority did an, uh, an educational psychologist assessment, but they also did a speech and language assessment as part of the process so that those parents didn't need anything in, in addition. Um, so it depends slightly. The other part of what you said is an autism diagnosis and those that side of things is all done through the medical channels. So, so that would be um, depending on where you live and depending on the systems for your your county um it may be that and it would depend on the age of your child as well but it may be that you go to your gp and the gp might refer into the pediatricians or it might be that you go via cams for slightly older children or that they will have certain pathways that you would go through in order to to get those diagnosis and the waiting times will vary enormously in some areas it wouldn't be um, unheard of to be waiting four years for your child to be um, assessed for autism or ADHD, depending on the, the area and the child. So, again, it's about having that evidence of need, whether there's a diagnosis in place. It's about finding ways to to, to get the evidence that the need is there. And what you've mentioned there leads me on to my last question that I wanted to ask you, which was about this idea of consistency and uh, different LAs around the country, but also maybe Scotland and Wales, for example. What, what is the level of consistency when it comes to EHCP provision, but also EHCP are some counties easier to get one if you home educate? Are some do some give more provision than others? I mean, how consistent is the provision for EHCP? Well, in terms of the different areas of the UK, um, they all have different um, codes of, of of practice. So Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, they'll all have different ways of. Um, working with children with special needs they have different names for things they have different they might not have EHCPs they might have statements um, I think Wales have recently changed theirs again to a, another system so they've all got different systems and you would need to really look at what's happening in the country that you're in but when you dig down and you read all these documents a lot of the content is the same. So perhaps the definition of special educational needs, you think, oh, that looks very familiar. That's that's very similar. Um, the processes are very similar. 
Um, but in terms of England and the counties within England, one of the things that it's really important for parents to be aware of and to, 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 to be mindful of and to use is the fact that the law is the law. So you, you've got at the top of all of this sort of tree of information, you've got the Children and Families Act 2014, which is an, an act of parliament, it's, it's law. Um, and part three of that is all about special educational needs and disabilities. You've then got um, the Special Educational Needs and Disabilities Re Regulations 2014, which sort of underpin the law. You've then got case law, because where the law is ambiguous in any way, then judges can interpret it and use case, and, and you can then use that case law in subsequent cases. So you can say, oh, well, that judge in, in that case in 2022 interpreted it into that, and therefore you've got case law. Then you've got you've got the code of practice, which isn't law, but you must have regard to it. And then under that, you've got local policy. Local policy does not trump law. And you need to remember that because that's where you'll find people in these Facebook groups or other groups saying, oh, the local authorities say they don't do personal budgets or oh, the local authorities say we don't do EOTAS in this in this county. And you need to go back and say, well, actually, the law is this. That might be your policy. That might be what you want. But this is the law. Um, in terms of the EHCPs, they all by law have to have the same information, but how it's set out is different. So um, you will definitely find the needs, the provision, the outcomes, but how that's arranged might look different in different local authorities. Um, but it's always about coming back to what is the law, and that is the same for all the local authorities, and that anything that's your local authority policy can be argued against by using the law okay and and it sounds like there's a, a role here for making sure you get support from your local home ed group make, making sure you understand the legal your legal rights um but also i'm guessing that that a role you know there's advocacy roles there so is that what you do in your company that you work as almost like an advocate for for parents whose children have special educational needs yeah that's part of part of what i do um so yeah i think you're quite right it is really important to get some support for this in in one way or, the, or another and every local authority has got to have a a, a independent but they're, they're paid for by the local authority but they have to be um independent advisory service for families to to get advice on this um there's also national advisory um websites and things where you can find information um and then there are advocates and um, who can support you some of which come from through charities and other of, of who are independent and are a paid for service and yeah, that's part of what I do. I think um, it's quite a big part of what I do because that's where the need is. Um, so so parents contact me either wanting advice about is this a route to go down? Do you, do I think that they have the right evidence or they're right at the beginning of the process of gathering evidence? Um, or they may come to me at the stage where an EHCP has been issued 
um, because just because you've been accepted to have an assessment doesn't mean you will get an EHCP at the end of it. But once you do, you're sent a draft copy and you need to check through that draft copy. And that's a really crucial stage. So that's another time when parents will contact me um, and ask if I can work through that draft copy with them and make sure that everything's watertight and, and everything they need is in there. Um, and then once it's finalised, then you've got the appeal stage and heading towards tribunal. And having done that um, as a parent for my own children, as well as many, many times professionally, that's another area that that I can support with. But I'm, you know, one of a number of of, of advocates who who can do that. Um, but then, you know, on top of that, I also do lots of other things. So my business is um, quite holistic in terms of what I offer is very much down to what the families need. So any aspect of special educational needs um, from as um, trying to determine does their child have special educational needs so I carry out learning assessments form, formal assessments informal assessments um, to help families understand special education needs home educating families even if the EHCP isn't part of that um, they might have taken their children out of school and think oh what next what does my child actually know what should I be teaching them so I help home educated families to to put together plans um, in terms of what we might work on next. Um, I do some tutoring of children with additional needs. Um, I particularly work with um, children who are autistic or who have ADHD and I support families and the children to understand their diagnoses and, and what that means for them and to become their own advocates um, and be able to uh, ask for their needs to be met. Um, so a whole variety of of things, basically any anything to do with special educational needs, I would say get in touch with me and I will see what I can do to to help. You're like the Mary Poppins for special <laughs> educational needs. So I where do can have I... a big bag, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of those umbrellas with a kind of beacon or something. I so where can one. I... <laughs> yeah, where can our listeners find you on social media or websites or anything like that? So um, my website is greenshootseducation.co.uk and there's a contact page on there and people can contact me through there. Um, I'm on Facebook as Greenshoots Education Support. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn as well. But I think the, the, the website's probably the first place to go to because that's got all the links and it's got my phone number and it's got my contact page on there um, and it's got a lot about me and what I do and and all that information on there. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for guiding us through EHCPs because it is a bit of a minefield and it feels a little bit like you take one false step and everything blows up under your feet. So um, it's been really helpful to have this really clear distinction between the different aspects available and also, you know, the sort of contemplative route that you need to take when you're actually thinking about whether you get an EHCP or not. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Anne. It's been lovely having you. You're more than welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.